Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, as usual, as we embark on a stretch of episodes celebrating canine companions in film, is this man's best friend, my co-host, and not a dog, Patch. Woof. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Although that's a cat pun, so that really doesn't fit. I can't say perfect. Yeah, you can't do that. Well, you heard it right, listeners. We are going to be covering doggo movies for the next several episodes. So settle in and get ready to enjoy lots of us expressing our love for these wonderful animals and also getting very sad, potentially, depending on what happens to them in the films that we discuss. To kick us off, we are starting with the dog movie that fits Halloween week the best. Tim Burton's animated feature-length expansion of his original short film, Frankenweenie. Patrick. As we get started here, before I let you start with your one word takeaway, I have one question. Had you seen this movie before I threw it on the schedule? No, I had not. I'd kind of gotten my fill of Tim Burton stop animation movies. And okay. so I I took a break after the stretch of Nightmare Before Christmas and Corpse Bride and things like that. So this was a first time watch for me. Okay, cool. Wanted to have that context. Um, excited to hear what you thought. And why don't we find out what you thought with your one more takeaway? Well, as you know, it's fun to have uh, fresh ideas when it comes to storytelling. And my word that I pulled for this movie was original. I felt like watching the credits roll, I was excited to see that this was an original concept from Tim Burton. So it was screenplay was from somebody different, but the story and the direction were, of course, his. And of course, Danny Elfman is by his side doing the music as always but i found myself really intrigued by how fresh this really did feel how we got some familiarity with certain things but the story itself while it hit on some similar themes that i gravitated towards i love the way that the story was told i love that the fact that it was black in black and white i love the fact that it was a very simple story didn't require a lot of complexity to it and it really did feel like not another run-of-the-mill movie. The fact that it's stop-motion, I think, just gives it a bonus because I always have love for that. But I think that in this day and age, it's really difficult to find original stories that hold your attention. And this really did the job. Well, that's so refreshing to hear because that's exactly what I think about this movie as well. And I've seen it countless times. So I'm really, really excited about that going into this. My one word takeaway is shocking. (laughs) And yes, that's mostly a joke because, you know, electricity. But, you know, it's also shocking because I don't usually love Tim Burton. So it's interesting to hear you say that about having taken that break. I don't really care for most of his work in general. And even The Nightmare Before Christmas being somewhat related to him, as was James the Giant Peach. These were not movies that he directed. These were movies that... He was involved in the animation and the conception of. But this is a film that he really owned hook, line, and sinker. Like you said, he came up with this short and this idea. And I think it's brilliant. And this last watch for me submitted it as an absolute favorite. Again, I think I'm probably going to start saying that about 
every movie as we move through this set because I'm about to get my first puppy and I just am probably biased, but that's okay. But I think this one has phenomenal artistic style and lighting and puppet work and animation and the score by Elfman, like you said, is just perfection. And on top of all that, it presents a really simple plot that is easy to follow. It is endlessly rewatchable and it pays an incredibly fun amount of homage to horror and monster movies of the past while simultaneously tugging at the heartstrings and capturing the deep feelings that so many pet owners have had for their beloved animal companions. I mean, really, I would totally revive my cat Strider, like without question, if it was possible. So I get it. I get it. And I think most people watching this movie and especially kids really will understand that feeling even no matter how young they are and that's another brilliant aspect of this movie to me is that it's made for kids it can be watched by kids and completely enjoyed without the references which we'll talk about but without understanding all of the nods and the fun little winks that burton is doing literally throughout the film constantly kids aren't gonna get those but they're still gonna have a blast and that is expert filmmaking in my opinion so i love it and i'm excited that you do too well listeners here is our spoiler warning if you haven't seen frank and weenie it is streaming on disney plus i think that the original short film it's based on is also streaming on disney plus so feel free to check those both out if you would like but yeah definitely you know give it a look if you have time left in your halloween movie watching schedule i know it's not traditional horror and scary but it's fun to add a little sweetness in there sometimes here and there well the primary beat of the story here is about a loner boy and his dog i mean that's really what this film hinges on it's how burton captures the bond between a boy and his dog and he uses this story to express that acknowledgement of the pain of letting go of a loved one and i wondered for you so i have lost a pet have you lost a pet i will ask you that first i have okay so i'm curious how you watch this through that lens and how you feel like burton did with capturing the feelings like we just talked about of wanting your pet to live forever and and not letting it go well i remember losing a pet as a child and feeling similarly to victor in terms of even though my pet died of natural causes and not from an accident like sparky did i wanted to hold on to the not just the memory of that pet but also it solidified all the great memories that i had playing with him and when you look at how burton kind of does this it's interesting because he doesn't really pull any punches in terms of what happens even though he doesn't show you the actual stuff so you know that sparky was hit by a car And then you see Victor's reaction and the emotion that you see on his face is exactly the emotion that I felt knowing that my, like my recent 
dog that we lost or that that passed away he was suffering and so having to walk away from the vet's table knowing that i was choosing to let him go was a hard thing as an adult because you had so many years with him and he brought a personality that you knew it was time because he was suffering, but at the same time, you also knew that you wish you kind of had the young dog back, the young pet, the one that you initially fell in love with. And, and it's hard because you're, you're losing the active personality. Now you're having to live with the memory and that's it. And, and that's hard. And obviously that doesn't, compared to losing a human <laughs> but there's an element of grief there because you're that that pet that person is no longer with you and you have to move on and be able to live life with that hole in your world because it's just it's com it was comfortable and now it's it's a new kind of way of living yeah I agreed and i haven't lost a pet that i've been very very close to since i was a child when i lost a cat and woke up one morning to find said cat in a very stiff curled up position she had feline leukemia so she was sick and so it was sort of anticipated in a way like it was, it was spur of the moment it was sudden to see it that morning but it was not something that was out of the blue like a car you know running over her and we buried her in the backyard. I mean, it was very much like taking her to the pet cemetery in the town kind of concept. And it has stuck with me, you know, and I was probably seven years old, maybe at the time, seven or eight. And it just has always been ingrained in my mind because of the feelings that I had at that time. And we lost a cat recently who I was close with, but not as close with. And I hadn't lived with him in several years. And since then, I haven't. And I'm I'm really nervous honestly because the cats that i have now my bonds with them are completely different than anything i've ever had in my life and i just i mentioned strider like i will probably need a week off of work to recover uh, when he inevitably passes away and i think what's really powerful about this movie maybe not this movie but just the concept of losing a pet and how it's expressed through films and really this will be like a running theme that we experience over the course of this month-long run of episodes, we're going to see it numerous times. It's that feeling of knowing that you're generally going to outlive this thing. So we don't always know that with the people that are around us. Like, Patrick, you and I have no earthly idea which one of us is going to live longer. Like, who knows, right? But I know, barring a major accident, I know that I'm going to outlive my cats. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. And you can pretty much kind of peg within a short amount of time when that's going to be too because we understand their lifespans due to science so that aspect kind of adds to it i think this movie does a great job of capturing the feelings that a boy has and i think that there is an additional piece here with the way that sparky is chasing a ball hit by victor there's a responsibility that victor feels because of that it's almost like it's his fault Right. And I know that he doesn't go into a bunch of self wallowing over that. And I'm glad 
but it's something that we would all, I think, struggle with and wrestle with. And we would be maybe extra encouraged to want to fix it because we did it. I like that his parents acknowledge that Sparky is his best friend. I always call my cat my best friend and I don't say it like kiddingly. Like I like legitimately love him to death. I mean, he is always there for me in a way that other human beings can't always be because they have other commitments. That cat, it's me. Like I'm, I'm his world <laughs> and that feeling is special and he provides a companionship for me that humans won't ever be able to fully touch and shouldn't have to right yeah i think something interesting about pets and maybe specifically for dogs i mean you, you're not a dog owner just yet but what i will say is that when it comes to companionship with a pet a very western minded thing by the way like it's this is not something you see in the far reaches of africa and other kind of developing world developing countries you look at dogs and cats and i'll speak specifically to dogs they don't ask for things they're not telling you to do certain things for them you're not earning their trust i mean you are but it's very easy to earn their trust and one of the things i notice with my relationship with my dogs is that there's a level of protection there's a level of trust there's a level of affection that doesn't have to be earned long term like they forgive really easily like when i tell my dog savvy stop licking the dishwashing stuff stop licking the dirty water in the dishwasher stop licking the the silverware she'll eventually get back but Five minutes later, she's curled up next to me and um, let me pet her, and it's it's nice. Uh, dogs have this ability to disarm me. I, when I go to dog parks, I just melt when I see all these other different dogs, or when I see a person walking their dog down the street. Uh, I don't run out of my house like a crazy person and say, "Can I pet your dog?" But if there's an opportunity for me to pet a dog, I will do that. Cats are, I think, they have those same kinds of traits, but they're because they're more laid back, because there's not a lot of like crazy activity, they're more independent. And I think that that's what's appealing to me about dogs. And for Victor and Sparky, they're almost dependent on each other to an extent. Like Victor needs Sparky to be active in his life in order to kind of solidify that companionship, to be able to throw a ball or to be able to run around with. What I love about my cat is that I can be laying on the couch and my cat can just come up and lay next to me. And that's all I need from my cat. What I need from my dog is to be able to play. I need to be able to horse around, to tell them to sit and lay down and give them treats and things like that. There's an activity there that is different. And that kind of companionship, Aaron, is one of those things that really can't be replaced with a human being because it's almost as if you said, you're their world. And it's one of the few relationships that you can be really selfish about because you can say they love me and I can't tell what they're thinking, but I know that they love me because when I walk into a room, they walk towards me. And when I leave the room, they follow me. And it's, it's idealistic. I, I get that how I'm, how I'm describing it, 
but I think it's kind of a healthy idealism because or idolatry because of the fact that they don't require you to do much for them. I mean, yes, they're more respons- there's more responsibility with the dog than with the cat, but at the same time, it's a different kind of relationship. It's almost like a a light version of raising children or even being married. I'm loosely comparing that, by the way. I'm not saying that marriage and having a baby is like having a pet, but there is almost like this practice round of oh, yeah. being able to say, can we can we take care of this? Can we think about, you know, when we, you have a puppy, two o'clock in the morning when they're whining, you got to take them out to use the bathroom and all these different things that you're learning and you're developing that relationship with them that later on when there's a crazy person outside the door that they're barking, they're not barking at the window. They're barking right in front of you, standing guard to make sure that you're taken care of instinctively because they trust you and they love you. And it's those types of things that I think make the relationship between a boy and his dog so significant because there's a mutual need to protect each other and there's a mutual need to feel almost equal to each other. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're nailing it. And this movie shows that a few times and it's not going to be as deeply seen because of the style of film that we're working with here. But when Sparky gets really sad that Victor leaves him when he goes to school, I mean, that's the feeling that we've all watched our dogs or our cats or whatever get very upset that we're leaving and not want to have us go away or to be extremely excited when we finally come back home. And Victor's understanding and, like you said, his placement of Sparky in his life playing more of a role of, like, a companion, um, more so than just this thing, is really evident. Because when Victor is blackmailed by Edgar, who is trying to say, you know, like, you got to show me what to do, show me how to do this myself, or I'm going to tell everyone, he says, you can't do it. This isn't an experiment. It's my dog. So to him... He's not raising Vic, he's not raising Sparky from the dead for any reason of science, you know, like the other kids are going to want to do later on. He's doing it out of love. There's that extra component and that's what makes it different. That's what makes it special. Um, and so real quick, do you think that this movie would have the same impact if Sparky was a cat? I know you've kind of, I think I know your answer based on the way you were just talking, but is there an appeal to the dog versus the cat? I think so because of just the activity. Cats, they are active, but again, they are jokingly independent creatures. They could live with or without their owners, although having cats ourselves, we know that there is an affection that they have. I get that affection every morning at like 3.45 with my cat coming up and just purring his face off in mine and I'm like get out of my face I'm trying to sleep but with dogs and in particular with this film I think you would lose that legit companionship I think there's some there's some power behind Sparky that makes him feel like if it were a cat it'd be a lot more of a delicate relationship whereas I think you look at Victor and Sparky's relationship I, I see them kind of rough, rough and tumbling around and being able to like play and, and roughhouse with each other where you couldn't really get that with the cat. Yeah. And in particular, the scene where Sparky chases the cats, <laughs> that really wouldn't work if another cat was chasing that cat. No, he'd have to chase a dog. Speaking of the cat yeah. real quick, Mr. Whiskers, 
well, Mr. Whiskers is, is a white cat, but there is a lot of black cat hate going around in the movies that I just can't understand. And it's really annoying me lately. I keep seeing films and every time I see a black cat, it's evil. It's related to evil somehow. And this has to stop. Okay. I'm putting my foot down as a pet owner, as a cat, black cat lover and owner that we need to stop stereotyping the black cat. This has been a PSA from Feeling Film. All right. Yes. <laughs> well, another relationship in this movie is Victor and his parents. And it's very different than the one that his neighbor Elsa has with her uncle, the mayor, Mr. Burgermeister, who I thought was Burgermeister at first. I had to look that up. How do you see them as being supportive of him? Because I feel like they do a really good job of that. It's one thing that I really appreciated about the film actually is that the parents for Victor are present and involved and they're part of this and they're not overbearing or mean or, you know, checked out of his life. And even though he has this nerdy obsession with science and the movies and they make comments about wanting him to socialize more, do you think that their support and their encouragement of him maybe helps him be more creative and expressive than a child like she is because of that? Because she's very reserved and withdrawn, and we see that very well might be because of the way that her uncle treats her. Well, there's a lot of factors here. First of all, the voice cast in this movie is on point. I love Martin Short and all the multiple roles that he plays. It's just fantastic. I think that the dynamic of having two parents, a mom and an actual dad, you can be, a, obviously you can be a mom or a dad to someone if you're, even if you're not that, but having both of the parents around definitely influence Victor in a way that I think is very, like you said, supportive. And it's very realistic because we see his dad who wants him to get out more, to be more social, where his mom was like, he's fine. Let him do his thing. It reminded me a lot of the of the Sandlot, where you have our main character whose mom is encouraging him to go out, get dirty, get in trouble. Not too much, but get in trouble. And when you have these two parents that they ultimately want their son to be happy. And I think that what they're trying to do is allow him the ability to try as many new things as possible. I love that they don't dissuade him from doing the science fair. I love that they don't dissuade him from having a best friend in his dog, Victor. But I also enjoy the fact that they see him as missing opportunities potentially and to go out there and at least try. And the baseball scene is really, really great because you see in his parents a sense of not wanting him to be the best at the sport, but they're proud of him for being at the plate swinging the bat. And I think that that's really, really a good thing. And that goes far beyond the participation trophy mentality. It's just about the fact that you can be proud of your son for who he is. Try and fail, try and fail, try and fail. This is something that our son, Carson, we were talking to him tonight about his grades, and he got like three 100s out of the five subjects that he's taken. And he got a 91 and a 94 in the other two. The 91 was in math. 
And the one thing he focused on was that he wasn't good in math. Like that was his takeaway. When we showed him his report card, all he saw was the fact that two of those numbers didn't say 100. And we had to talk him back and say, Carson, that's a good number. It doesn't define you by any means. It's just a number, by the way. If it were 61 or 71 or 81, we would still be proud of you for the fact that you are doing so well in school. And we have to be careful because we don't want to just encourage him. We want him to kind of live with some of the mistakes he makes. You know, he's really loving soccer right now and he's practicing. Part of that is because he's been failing here and there. He's been going up against teams that are tougher than he and his teammates. And that kind of balance, I think, exists in Victor and his relationship with his parents because his parents don't want him to succeed. They just want him to experience. And I think that that is different than this other relationship with, that Elsa has with her uncle because there's less of a dynamic there. It's one parental focus as opposed to having two, two perspectives. And even though those two perspectives might get conflicted, it's still better than just having one perspective because all she sees is his perspective, not his and someone else's. And it definitely creates an interesting dynamic to watch and see how they respond to the events that play out. And, uh, but, I, but I definitely gravitate more towards Victor's relationship with his parents. I think they're pretty fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I do too. And I, and I love it. I love that we start the movie by watching them together on the couch viewing a short film that he made, which by the way is all about Sparky. If we want to go back to how much Victor loves his dog as a perfect first indicator that this dog means the world to him. There's his dog in a monster movie, essentially, which is a great play for what's going to come, uh, terrorizing his world of toys. And his parents are there, and they're all enjoying it, and they're eating popcorn on the couch like a happy, connected family. And I appreciate that. It's, it's just not what you see a lot of anymore in cinema, um, whether it's because that's not reality for a lot of families or whether it's because... People have grown away from thinking that that's necessary. It's how I grew up. It's how you grew up. Um, I know for a fact because I was there. And it was a, a wonderful thing. Uh, and having those bonds with our parents and remembering some of those things. And whereas we see you know, Elsa and her uncle, and he's forcing her to be this thing. He wants her to play this role for him, this little Dutch girl and... He's making her sing this song and it's really awful. Like it's, it's almost abusive in a sense. If it, it reminds me in a way, you know, of parents who push kids to do things like play a sport that they don't actually enjoy because they want them to fill a role for the parents joy. The parent is getting something out of it, right? Elsa's not. And it's very clear that Elsa is not. And the mayor doesn't care. He, he's not at all plugged into that. And I love the dichotomy here. I think it's important to show just how great that family dynamic and the way that his parents treat him can affect him as a person. There's a great line by his mom as well, a little piece of dialogue they have in the kitchen where He's already, he's just lost. I think it's in the kitchen. It might be in his bedroom, but it's after he's lost Sparky. And she's having this talk that I feel like we all had when we lost our first pet as a kid. 
And she says, when you lose someone you love, they never leave you. They just move into a special place in your heart. He'll always be there, Victor. And what I love is the response, because that's a very common thing we see in movies, Patrick, is or in storytelling in general, we will hear that. It's like a it's like a Hallmark card. He'll always be there in your part. But the honest truth is what Victor says back. He says, I don't want him in my heart. I want him here with me. Like, I just love that. And I think that the mom doesn't scold him for being wrong. There's a point where the dad does scold him for bringing Sparky back to life very briefly after the mom discovers him. But then they go with him to find your dog, he says. He uses the words, we're going to go find your dog. Not we're going to go find the crazy, you know, reanimated thing that you brought back to life. He acknowledges that this, to Victor, this is his dog. And I just, I really believed that they were understanding even when they were upset with their son's choice. And that is extremely strengthening for their relationship. And I think for trust building. Uh, going forward. So it, it, I love this relationship as well. I also made me want a fondue pot. This stuck out to me. I, I don't know how many movies have scenes at a dinner table with a fondue pot, but like, dude, can you get these? Like, I thought they were only at the melting pot restaurant. I didn't know we could have one at home because now I need this. We used to have one. What? We never used it. Oh, I think we wow. still have it. I have to check to see. I mean, I'm a meat and cheese guy. Like, just let me have a bunch of meat and some veggies and a big pot of cheese. I'm good. I'm great. So I need to look into that. I will say (laughs) I do enjoy at the end, the mayor has a very subtle moment of coming around. Like, I think when he sees, and I'll talk about this later in my connecting point, but when he sees the end of the film and what takes place and the love for Sparky that is displayed, he reacts to that and i like that i I want to see people be able to change due to experiences in their lives because this is also reality of how humans work like we're not always going to make the best choices we're not always going to treat people in our lives with the respect that they deserve and the way that we should what's important is that when we don't hopefully we'll be able to learn from that we'll be able to grow from that and we will then start treating people as they deserve. And he puts his arm around his niece and as she's crying, just gives her a little pat. And I thought that was a really sweet, subtle way to convey that. Victor obviously uses science to bring Sparky back. And the science fair is a perfect reason, plot-wise, for the other kids to be jealous and want to compete to beat him. They think that he's done it for the wrong reasons. I was a little surprised watching it this time around, noticing just how obsessive every single kid in this class is about the science fair and about winning in general. There's some creepy ass kids in this class. This is all I got to say. They are man. Holy moly. What did you think the film was saying about science and the idea of winning at all costs through the way that the kids try to do that? And then of course the problems that it brings up. Well, I think that it kind of goes back to what we talked about with Victor's parents, the healthy relationship that they have with him and that your life and high school does this. You kind of get latched onto something, whether it's a sport or science or club of some kind. You're kind of labeled or you label yourself as one of these things because you identify with that. And I think that's kind of a 
trait of a high school student is someone who is defined by the thing that they are a part of or the thing that makes them stand out. Even if you're an outcast, you're still standing out as that outcast. And I think what the film is doing pretty effectively is it's showing how that obsession can be very much a dangerous thing that you lose the spirit, not only of just competition, but you lose the spirit of what you're actually trying to do, which is solve problems. That's what science is. It's about solving problems and, and learning about the world around you. And oftentimes what we see with any kind of competition is that we lose the element of fun. We lose the fact that why are we doing this? Why are we creating or doing these experiments? Are we really trying to find out something or are we just doing it for a cool fact? Do we think the judges are actually going to latch onto this because it's the latest and greatest kind of topic that we're dealing with? We're not doing those crazy volcanoes that erupt anymore. We're actually doing like AI or things like that. And I think that what Frank and Weenie does really well is it shows off how that competitive nature takes over the spirit of what they're actually participating in, which is discovering more about the world around them and how to solve problems. And that's kind of in contrast to what Victor is doing. See, he's doing the, the equal opposite of that. He's actually solving a problem for his own personal benefit. And as a result, he creates an amazing science fair project. Doesn't want it. You know, greatness is thrust upon him. And he's unfairly sort of being attacked by these other people who are like, no, you cannot do this. We must win the science fair. I love the fact that Burton doesn't really give us a reason why. Are they motivated because their parents are making them do this? Is it because there's a legacy of some of these students that their father's father and their grandfather, they were all science fair winners? Who knows? But the the idea of competition overtaking the subject itself, I think, is a huge, huge thing that's going on here. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I really like the fact that they call this out for the kids that are watching. There's a line early on in the film, and I can't remember whether it was a parent who spoke it or who it is. It might have been Mr. Riz Kruski, the, the science teacher. But someone says, are you sure this is going to work? And the answer is no, that is why they call it an experiment. And it seems like one of those just no-brainer, kind of like, duh lines at this point. But it's so true that it's an experiment. Like, that's what it is. That's what experimentation is, is not being sure. If you were sure, it wouldn't be an experiment, period. Like, that's not what that is. And so I really enjoy that. And, you know, I think that that's a great understanding from an earlier scene in the very beginning of the movie. I mean, first of all, this whole movie is like science throughout, of course, with the creepy science teacher being a part of it. Like the movie starts with him explaining to the class how lightning strikes work, which I thought was a great way to set up the hook for later. But he is talking to Victor when he's playing baseball, right? Right before the awful thing happens. And he says, when conducting an experiment, trying is the important thing. It's okay to fail as long as you keep trying. Another great life lesson in general, right? Because he's missing this baseball and he's kind of relating 
playing baseball to an experiment, which I thought was something I'd never really thought about, you know, in those terms. And so then when Victor says, no, that's why they call it experiment, it comes back into play. And I like that a lot. And the, the other kids, man, yeah, they're just, it's, it's weird that they're all so obsessed with winning and being the person to succeed or whatever. But I love the DNA of science throughout this film because that's part of the original, right? Frankenstein that this is based on is this is what it is. It's a science, a mad scientist. And the Victor shows that with his ingenuity. I love, I love the scene where he is gearing up to make Sparky. It's one of my favorites. He's like running through the house and he like grabs the blender and you know, the toaster oven and this random light here and just everything he can possibly find. He's got wires like running into the aquarium as a conductor. I mean, it is so cool to see the way that he comes up with this, right? He's not rich. He's not what you would call, quote unquote, a genius necessarily. He is using the tools that he has at his disposal any way possible to try and achieve a result that he wants to achieve. And there's a great call out later when his friend tries to do the same thing by replicating the experiment. And they say, listen, what are you missing? What's the missing ingredient? I loved him, right? Like I love Sparky and it sounds so cheesy, but it's a nice touch and and it's meaningful to me like and i think it goes beyond just i loved the pet in a emotional sense but more in a way in which the care that you put into a thing manifests itself and the way that you approach it so like athletes approach a sport differently you can tell when someone has a quote-unquote love of the game the way that they play the game is very visible in them versus someone who maybe is just in it for the stats or just in it as a career because they're good at a thing, if that makes sense. I don't know. I think maybe some of the kids maybe also see, have a need for the science fair to plug a hole in their lives because I get the sense that many of the kids we see have struggle with loneliness and isolation or a need for love and acceptance just by the way that they carry themselves. Yeah, there's definitely a, a frustration and anger from a couple of the kids, almost to a point of bullying because of the fact that, again, we don't know the history. We don't know if they've tried and failed, tried and failed and tried and failed and have not won the science fair. But I think more than anything, it speaks to how kids who don't have something pure that drives them, that intrinsic motivation, much like most high school kids are, they're going to gravitate towards something. And the danger is when you put all of your effort into this thing with the risk that it's probably going to fail or that it could fail. And I think that's kind of the ironic thing is that science is all about trying and failing and yet these kids who want to win at all costs can't afford to fail. Failing would mean losing the science fair, and they can't afford to do that. In fact, they're going to do whatever it takes, sabotaging other people's projects in order to win. 
and it just it takes away the purity of of what that thing is similarly to what you talked about with an athlete an athlete that ends up taking performance enhancing drugs to get better in order to last longer in a game or to get stronger we we call that cheating why because you've taken the purity out of why this athlete is doing it some athletes are gifted and some athletes are not i recently watched greater the biopic about brandon burlesworth and that was a huge theme in the movie was the fact that he he wasn't built to be an offensive or alignment he wasn't built that way but he made himself that way he was given the ability he was given the opportunity to do it and he made himself that way and i think in a, in a lot of ways when we look at the pursuits that we have in high school college even in our adult lives we have to be very careful about the fact that that one thing that we pursue for a season for a long time if it starts to consume us if it starts to become that thing that consumes us and takes us over we're losing the purity of that and frank and winnie really kind of subtly touches on that with these other kids that are around victor and i thought that was pretty amazing well the film also is a tribute to horror and monster movies of old with references in seemingly every scene like i mentioned earlier did any of them specifically stick out to you as being particularly clever so I've got a list, and I wanted well, to hear what you have to say first. So the the Van Helsings, I thought that was a fantastic the the family of the Van Helsings. I loved the different monsters that manifested themselves from the reanimation. The 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 sea monkeys were probably the creepiest to me, but I I think my favorite my favorite 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 was the turtle that was kind of a callback to Godzilla. Uh, that's probably the big standout for me in terms of old school monster, not just the universal monster specifically, but just monster movies in general. But I love the, and I, Aaron, I love the fact that he is attacking an Asian person who's trying to take his picture. I just think it's so, so fantastic. Um, and, and subtle. Yeah. So I, I called him lovingly Godzilla, but, the kids laughed me out of the room. They also were a little annoyed at me because I had like an epiphany moment, like toward the end of the film. And I was like, oh, Shelly, his name is Shelly because he's a turtle. And they just thought that I was very slow. But his name is also Shelly because of Mary Shelly. And this is where the references really go deep here. So not only is he referencing Godzilla, Patrick, he's actually referencing Gamera as well, which is one of the other giant monsters in the Godzilla universe who actually has a shell and is a like turtle. It has no, fangs, but it's meant to do that. There's a, there's a shot where he comes crashing into the town and he knocks down a banner that says happy, whatever it is, Dutch day. That is absolutely Jurassic park. And he goes to chase the old guy and the old guy runs and he hides in a porta potty. And like, it is just non stop referential the whole way through that ending sequence specifically it's awesome 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 i love that colossus gets brought back while in his tomb and just the whole play on like the name colossus and the fact that it's this gigantic thing you expect he's in this humongous place and then it comes out to be like a mummified guinea pig or something and 
we have, you know, Mr. Whiskers, the cat, who is holding a bat in its mouth when he gets electrocuted. And so he turns into a vampire bat cat, which is freaking rad. What's, again, unfortunate is that they turn him into a villain and have him attack Sparky. And he gets killed with a stake, a falling piece of wood through the heart because he's a vampire bat. It just, I love it. I love it. There's uh, the Colossus when the Colossus takes on the turtle and the Colossus like gigantifies or whatever. It felt so much like a Pokemon battle to me until he gets stepped on, which was hilarious. The Edgar having his fish turn invisible, I feel like was a nod to the invisible man. There's a moment where the mom recognizes Sparky or I think Sparky and she says, it's alive. And that's definitely a reference from the films. Elsa's black poodle Persephone, when she touches the bolts, her hair becomes the bride of Frankenstein, which is hilarious, you know, and I actually watched the bride of Frankenstein last night because I'd heard so much about it. And because I knew it only from young Frankenstein references previously, I was a little disappointed. I didn't think it was phenomenal and the bride of frankenstein is in it for like two minutes at the very end of the movie which is really disappointing because it's called the bride of frankenstein like what the heck anyway i thought that was a cool little reference edgar is clearly resembling igor he's sort of like a hunchback who is like egging on victor von frankenstein or whoever uh and then the townspeople so at the end of actual frankenstein which this whole movie is slowly kind of a play on the townspeople take up arms and torches and they chase the monster into a windmill. And in both the original Frankenstein and in the original Tim Burton short film, Frankenweenie, the windmill ultimately collapses, quote unquote, killing the monster. And it's meant to, that's where it ends. Like that, that's it. Like the townspeople wanted that to happen. And I thought that this has a beautiful play on that that I'll talk about here in a little bit as well, because it doesn't quite go the same route again. But, you know, for me, I just am giddy at movies like this that have these references. It's it's almost like watching Ready Player One to me at this point, watching Frank and Weenie. I had so much fun with it, and I think it is really, really great. Well, last, like, I wanted to talk about this. It it is billed as a children's movie. And I wondered if you saw it that way. Because there are some frightening scenes. And, you know, like, things die in this movie for real. Like, Colossus and Mr. Whiskers, the vampire bat cat, and things. Do you think that this is too much for kids? Or do you think that it's funny enough that it kind of overrides the scary and ultimately you know i told you i think that it works well for both adults and kids because of the references to horror movies the adults will get but just the sweetness of the animals for kids do you feel that way or do you think that it's maybe leaning towards having an appeal more so to one of those two groups i would probably put it in the same category as camp cretaceous on netflix where you have enough kind of thrill and terror that you recognize not everybody's going to survive and that's okay but there wasn't blood and gore like it wasn't gratuitous by any means so for like my seven and a half year old i think he would be fine 
watching this and I think he would laugh at the parts that were supposed to be funny and I think he would find some excitement and maybe some realistic fear um, in the places that need to be fearful. So I think it's appropriate fear, appropriate like, ah, you know, scary moments. But I don't think it's necessarily something that mm, it's black and white. There's some dark moments, maybe not. I mean, I, I would put it in the same category as something like The Nightmare Before Christmas, not just because it's part of a Tim Burton world, not just because it's stop animation, but because you're dealing with darker stuff. I mean, you're dealing with stories that are about monsters. And so you kind of have to go into that thinking, all right, we could either make this ultra campy a la Young Frankenstein, or we can find the balance of showing off some of the horrific elements of old school monster movies, but throwing in some humor there for fun. So I would say it's on the level of something like Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous in that it's got the appropriate amount of fear and scary, but balanced out with some really great levity. Perfect way to put it and great example and a good plug, especially we talked about Jurassic Park earlier when the shell monster comes through the town. So there you go. Jurassic Park. Go see Camp Cretaceous. It's on Netflix. Well, we are going to talk about our connecting points next, Patrick, and I'm curious what you came out with. So why don't you get us started with yours? Yeah, I liked Victor's conversation with uh, Mr. Zakruski. If we pronounce that correctly, then that gives me double points there. And we were touching on a little bit of it earlier when we were talking about science. It's Science is a thread throughout this whole movie. But what I really attached myself to was the way in which he explains that science can be a scary thing that it's one of those things where you don't want to try and fail and that is a human character trait this is something that i with my direct reports i i try to preach all the time that it's okay to fail as long as you're failing with effort as long as you're not being lazy and I think a lot of times when we are staring the unknown in the face, we choose to withdraw because it's easier. We know that if we don't fail, at least we, or if we don't try, we won't fail. And for some, that's appealing. And they could take it one step further and say, well, I could just blame it on somebody else. As long as I get his permission to do it, then it's his fault. And I think what, what he talks about with Victor is about the fact that the purity of science is in problem solving. And the purity of science is in pursuing the thing that you want to know more about, the thing that you love. And you talked about it a little bit earlier that the reason that Victor's experiment worked is because he loved his dog. He loved Sparky. And there's purity in that. There's purity in saying, when we're trying to figure something out, not because we want a prize at the end, not because we're trying to win a contest, not because we want to be right, but because we want to understand more about this world that we live in from a science perspective. For Victor, he just wanted to bring his dog back to life because he wasn't done. He wasn't done living with his dog and being a companion to his dog. And so metaphorically, realistically, however you want to say it, literally, his experiment worked because there was no 
impurity in what he was doing. You contrast that with the same experiment, same conditions, but what Mr. Uh, Zakriski says is that variable changed. The purity of wanting to bring something back to life changed with the fish as opposed to the dog. And I think that that speaks volumes about when we look at science as a whole, that oftentimes it can get billed as something that's evil. I know early on when science was taking shape, it was billed as this thing that was like, oh my gosh, this, you, know, you don't need to mess with this. And there's always been this tension between science and religion, science and religion. I've learned in my journey just kind of living is that science can be such a complement to our understanding of the world along with philosophy and religion. And just like anything else, if you start making it an idol, you start elevating it above other things and making it, you have to explain everything away. You have to be able to have an answer for everything. Well, now you're vaulting it to a place where it's not meant to be. Science is meant to be a place that's full of I don't knows. It's full of I wonder if this will work. And as you mentioned before, that's why we experiment. If we didn't experiment, it would mean that we knew the answer. That's why we do science. We do science because we don't know. And that conversation with Victor, I think, was such a both poignant to the story, but also poignant to kind of the world that we live in and that we have to be able to have the freedom to try and fail and at the same time understand that science is a way, it's not the way. And when we embrace it as something that is has this built-in pursuit of understanding more, not necessarily just knowing more, but understanding more, that's when I think the purest form of science exists. And for me, that's why that was my connecting point. Beautiful. Absolutely love that. And I think that it works out really well for you to point that out in it comparatively to what I'm going to connect to. And that is the ending and really the emotional crux here of the film when they are reviving Sparky at the end. The dad suggests they recharge the dog, which I thought was hilarious at the beginning of the film when we learned that he's like a rechargeable doggo. You could just set him, you know, plug him in and he's good to go. But there's a great question here as to whether or not he should be revived considering what just went down. And the movie puts me in a place where I actually take a second to consider it and I feel torn about it. And I think about, you know, what Victor says, you said that I should let him go. He tells his dad and he's considering that he's, he's taking what his dad said and he's legitimately giving it thought. And I think that that's how advice is supposed to work. Doesn't mean he's going to do what his dad says without thinking, but he understands that that recommendation had value and he looks at this destruction. He realizes that this is not a normal thing that has happened and maybe he should. And his dad says, sometimes adults don't know what they're talking about. And that line is probably my favorite thing. And that is why it's my connecting point because Patrick, you and I as parents understand the value that our kids will get out of us 
acknowledging that we can be wrong. This is a parent that is accepting that, and he is changing his perspective and fully supporting and backing his child in the thing that his child has shown he loves and that matters to him. And that is loving your child. That is what you do. And I just appreciate that so much because it demonstrates a character trait that I'm sure the parents want Victor to have, which is a willingness to admit when he's wrong and the ability to change his mind. And I just think it is an incredibly beautiful, poignant moment that is so quick because this movie is not about like big, long melodrama, but it has so much meaning here. And it results in this just super adorable moment where the town comes together and completely puts a spin on the end of Frankenstein where the mad mob kills the monster and is happy about it. The town learns a lesson in this movie. And that is what the whole point of the cautionary tale of Frankenstein and being afraid of the thing that you don't understand like this is the end result right it should result in people who learned a lesson and say no it doesn't matter if I understand it what I do understand is that Victor loves that dog and I can respect that and I can empathize with that and feel that so it doesn't matter what I feel about that dog because that's not important. What matters is that Victor feels that way. And as a respectful person, I care that Victor has this thing that he, he loves so much and that we know loves him back, right? Because Sparky tries to save his life or does save his life. And so they all come together and they use their cars to jumpstart him, which is adorable. And it's just a, such a sweet thing and a great way to flip the script on that Frankenstein formula to where now you have a town that isn't just pitchforks and torches they have come together and they've bonded as a group in a way that the mayor ultimately wished they would over this ridiculous thing that they were doing this big hoopla about dutch day or whatever the heck it's called i, I never remember what it's called but that's the whole purpose of this town ceremony and celebrating the town. And lo and behold, now the town has come together in a way that he never could have imagined and never could have attained by trying to force it through this other faux patriotism way. And instead, wow, I didn't even know where I was going to go with this, but instead they've come together as actual people who care about each other. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful moment. And I think it's really cool that it's in this halloweeny kids movie stop motion animation picture so get out there and vote wait that, that's not where we're going with that never mind sorry <laughs> vote and that. adopt a dog yes do yeah, those two yeah. things be Buy like me pandemic yeah. puppy let's go <laughs> well that'll wrap up this episode of feeling film this week we'll be bringing you some new content in the form of our monthly donor pick the lost boys as well as some bonus content where we'll be conversating about the Donner versus Lester cut of Superman 2. I'm looking forward to talking about that. Stay tuned and enjoy everything we have coming your way, including our continuation of Dog Loving Month with the art of racing in the rain next week. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation, and we'll talk soon. 
Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.